Hello, 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 and welcome back to With Love and Butter, a chef's podcast on dating and relationships and all the food and drinks that get us through it. I'm your host, Courtney Butch. I am a chef, a baker, a mixologist, a culinary producer, corporate marketing baddie. Again, we'll talk about that in just a moment. And uh, most recently, a serial monogamist turned roster dater for the last year and a half. Welcome back to the show. Now, if you're watching this on the YouTubes or also on Spotify, you might see that I am in a different location. That's because baby girl, she moved out. She moved out. Um, so the last spot that y'all saw me recording in, I was, uh, at my parents' home when I just moved down here to North Carolina, was living with them for a few months while I figured out what I wanted to do, where I wanted to go. The plan was actually to stay at home at my parents' house for like, how long? Uh, like a six months really to a year, right? The goal was just to like sit there, stack bread, save money. Um, but this opportunity for this apartment came up via my stepsister. Um, and so yeah, I took over her lease. It's a really great place. I love it. I wanted a space where I could really just like dig all the way into my creation, dig all the way into, um, you know, like really, really making my place feel like home again. Um, I felt like it was the fastest way for me to maybe assimilate to the move down here to North Carolina. So we're in a new spot, but the vibe is still the same, except for today, because we're also kind of switching things up. My birthday was like a month ago, a little over a month ago now. Um, baby girl's 28 now. Baby girl's 28. And um, I wanted to do something a little bit different. I wanted to take a step backwards um, and really just sort of talk about in a more informal way some of the reflections on my life um, and what turning 28 and all the lessons that I've learned has sort of meant for me. So, um, you know, I made a TikTok about it. I was like, hey, y'all, if there are any like burning questions that you want to know, if there's any tea that you're trying to get, like, let me know what you want to know um, and then we'll dig into it. So this is not your usual sort of Q&A. Um, we're really diving like straight into the deep stuff. And this is me assuming that there's a lot of context that's already been shared here. Um, and y'all have really heard me talk at length about the details of my, <laughs> of my personal life. So um, we're going to go a little bit further into that today. Um, and yeah, like there's no real script for this. I do have the questions like listed out and they're kind of broken out by category. So if you're watching this online, I will put the timestamps in there. Um, and I'll also put it in the description for the actual podcast so that like you can move around based on what's interesting to you. I don't expect y'all to find all 28 subjects completely relevant. Um, but whatever it is, I hope it sticks and I hope that you enjoy. So um, we're not following the exact flow of the podcast today. Exactly. Um, so we're kind of skipping the main courts. We're skipping uh, the, the mise en place. Um, but we are going to be jumping in with a what's shaking segment because you know, baby girl would not be baby girl. She would not be her. I would not be I if we didn't have a little something to sip on. Okay. And you know, today's, today's vibe is just, she's, she's sexy. She's grown. She's giving sophisticated is what she's giving. So let's go ahead and get into it. So for today's what's shaken segment, we're switching things up just a little bit, just a little bit. Y'all know that I live and breathe for a bee's knees. Um, I made one in episode, I believe four. Um, I'm a really huge fan of bee's knees. I love like a gin based cocktail with like lemon and honey. Um, and so I wanted to do a festive spin on that. So 
This is an Earl Grey and Lavender Bee's Knees, which means that there's a lavender syrup in it. And um, I have an infused Earl Grey gin that is just absolutely delicious. I add a little touch of honey, but it doesn't need all that much um, and a bunch of fresh lemon juice. So we're going to go ahead, get our little sippy sip on. As you can see, this glass is large, okay? And it feels very birthday behavior-esque. I don't care what anybody says. I am celebrating for the full month. So cheers, clink, clink, and I'm going to have a little sip. She's so good, I might have another sip. Hold on, wait. Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah, that'll do it. Okay. Alrighty, y'all. So, like I said, today's episode really isn't scripted. We're kind of like, we're doing all this off the top of the dome. You know what I'm saying? We're going to freestyle this. But, of course, I already know what the questions are. I ended up getting more questions than I expected. So I really sort of like wanted to identify some common themes um, and put them all in one place. But of course, the thing that is nearest and dearest to my heart, we are going to start off talking about food. So question number one, how has your love of making food and food content changed? This was a question asked by Mello. Um, and Mello holds a very specific place in my heart. So I just wanted to go ahead and give that little shout out. Um, but I feel like my relationship with food has changed so much, largely by way of becoming single. Food is something that for me, I think I sort of both relished and resented the, the role that it played in my relationships, particularly with men. Um, but it is something that I've relished for the fact that like I am creating experiences for them that I know they're not getting anywhere else. Like I know that like nobody's really given it to you like, like this, right? My flavor combinations, um, my approach to food, which I feel like is very like slow and thoughtful. Um, I'm always thinking about the layering of flavors. And then I really try to incorporate things that like my partner, my person, um, is a fan of, right? And a large part of that is because I came up in the, in the, private chef slash dinner party world, you know? And so I'm always sort of curating and editing the menus in the back of my mind so that they're most appropriate for the person who is going to be consuming them. The challenge with that though, where I grew to resent it is that food ended up becoming such a large part of my identity with my partners. And I hated that. It actually really made me sad. Um, I hated that the responsibility of it, um, you know, really it, when it fell on me in the way that it did, it almost was like as an expectation, as opposed to an expression of care or an expression of love. I actually have that same challenge in my friendships as well. Um, and I will, I've started putting distance between myself and the people who, um, you know, the only thing that they ever talk to me about is my food. Like there are so many other things I contain multitudes, you feel me? And, um, I don't want my food to be the defining factor, but it is such a large part of who I am that of course I want to see it appreciated. So to answer the second part of, um, that question, I think my relationship with it has changed because it needed to, my relationship with it has changed because, um, I got tired of being identified for it. A large part of the way that I um, purposely engage with TikTok is not through my food, right? Uh, my most viral videos have had nothing to do with food. And I'm grateful for that because people have really gotten to know me, not through the lens of the value that I provide for them, but, um, you know, for me, for my opinions, for my thoughts, for the way that I say things, for my voice, even, um, you know, people who comment on my nose, like all of the random things that like people are kind of like down to ride for me for, um, before I reintroduced food as a pillar of my content. Um, and it really makes me feel 
very well seen and well rounded. Um, and that is really, I think all I could have asked for from my content and from my platform. So I'm making my way back to food slowly to like wrap this question up, but I'm making my way back to food. I think slowly I'm giving myself grace for the ways that my relationship with it has changed. Um, and I think in addition to that, I'm really starting to love it again just for me. And not having to think about, oh, what does my man want when he gets home from work? We're both coming home from work. I just, I don't think that that shit is practical on the day to day. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm starting to enjoy it again. And I don't want to put any other expectations on it beyond that. So yeah. Question number two, what meal am I most spiritually attached to and why? I love this question. Um, Man, okay, so I think that all of my favorite sorts of meals are like, y'all will hear me use the phrasing like slow and thoughtful. That is my food point of view. Um, but I think I am most attached to probably my mom's pot roast. Now, Teresa makes a pot roast like you would not believe, okay? Teresa, one thing about it, she's going to get in the kitchen, she's going to cook her ass off, but it's going to be very simple um, and it's going to be very good. And what I love about home cooks is that like at their at their very very best they are able to take simple things and turn them into something that you would not have expected um, and her pot roast for me is something like that it's it's tender and it's juicy and it's got this great gravy and you know it's a really simple preparation for the most part but there is a, a love in it that you really do feel um, and it's something actually that was maybe one of the first more serious meals that I made for my last ex Wade um, you know, like as, as an expression of like, I want to do slow, thoughtful things with you and for you and like love on you, um, you know, and like nourish you, right? Like we met in the dead of winter. And so I just, I thought that that was like the thing. Um, and so I think that still stands out for me. It's something that I love making for other people. Um, it really, I feel like slow food is a love language too. Yeah. Okay. So shifting gears now to career stuff. <sighs> Okay, am I where I thought I'd be in my career and what do I want to be doing next? Um, so in order to answer this question, I have to tell y'all about what the hell's going on in my career. Um, I am, I just took on a, at the time of, of recording, which is September of 2022, um, I took on a new role as a director of brand marketing for a really incredible black owned food company. Um, I'm really excited about the role and decided to take said role in the midst of all of the other creative projects that I'm working on, largely because I felt like I understood what the impact for the actual culture was. I have done a lot of work for people who, quite frankly, have not necessarily cared about not just my well-being, but the well-being of Black people as a general rule. Um, and I was bringing my very black ass talent. I was bringing my very black ass perspective to companies that really didn't know what to do with that. And it was great to the extent that they got to sort of pat themselves on the back and feel good about themselves and enjoy how quirky and funny and, you know, and all of these things that my personality sort of brought to the brand, um, without actually valuing me and my work. Um, and in that way, my decision to enter the fold again um, for a black owned company was very exciting for me. Um, and I think about my career kind of in two ways. There's the corporate side of my career and then there's the Courtney side of my career. Like that's my, that's my personal career. That's my passionate career. Um, my passionate career, I think 
I took several months off, like when I quit my last job, the months that I took off, the time that I took away was really for me to lean in and discover what it was that I wanted to do next in my, um, in, in this, right. In the podcast, on the YouTubes, on, you know, the platforms, um, and really figure out what my voice sounded like when it was just me and there wasn't anybody in the way of that. Um, and I felt like that was something that I owed to myself. I still feel like I owe it to myself, but the relationship that I have to it gets to change because I did do the work of proving the concept to myself and I will continue to do this. The podcast will continue to be a large part of my life. There are so many other ways that I want to develop it. Um, but yeah, so there's the corporate element of my work, director of brand marketing on the flip side is me. And I am more important than any work that I'll ever do for any of these brands. And I know that I stand on that. They know that too. And I make, that's the first spiel that I give them whenever I get recruited for a role. Um, and you know, my creative work is such a huge part of that. I really want to own a production studio in the next two years, a black owned, like primarily like canonically black production studio in the next two years that tells stories about black food. Um, in creative, thoughtful, concise money-making ways. That's what I want. Um, and so the work that I'm doing right now here with the podcast, here and all the other projects that I do, every other culinary production gig that I take on um, as I'm working with some of the biggest me food media companies in the world, um, as I'm doing all of that work, I am constantly reminded that all of this is meant to still come back to me um, and to the community. And so I'm really excited about it. So Yes, I kind of am where I thought I'd be in my career. This was what I wanted. I wanted to be a director by 28. I'm here. Thank God. Um, you know, I wanted to be on my way into my next big thing as a creative, like for my personal career. And thank God I am. I'm so grateful. Um, and I think that everything that I want to do next is starting to lay itself out. But everything that I want is on the other side of discipline. And I generally kind of struggle with that. Um, fun Fun fact, y'all, if you're not following me on TikTok, then you probably didn't see this video. But if you're not following me on TikTok, then you should be following me on the TikTok. Sis, what are you doing? Okay, this is a gender neutral term here, but like, sis, what are you doing if you're not following me over there? Anyway, if you are, then you saw that the last time I tried to record this podcast episode, the microphone was on mute literally the entire time. And when things like that happen, I get a little flustered, yes. But primarily, I'm like, okay, cool. I have to redirect for a moment. And I really do think that I am in a headspace today that I was not in two days ago when I was trying to record this. But where discipline comes in is that I could have very well been like, you know what, Courtney girl, you've been working all week. And I have. And I'm tired. I'm not going to lie. Um, there's a whole lot of Fenty going on under here, right here, right here in this under eye. But I want to keep promises that I make to myself even if I'm not able to keep them to anybody else. And that for me is the beginning of creating discipline. Um, so I'm just going to keep doing that. Y'all keep seeing me here every other Friday. Eventually I'll start to sprinkle in some other times for other videos that are probably not podcast necessarily. And then we'll go from there. So yeah. You know. um, <laughs> uh, number four, how would I like to be remembered? And am I living that way right now? I want to be remembered for my language and for my love. Yeah. Yeah. And am I living that way right now? Partly, partly. I think I'm on my way to that. 
I find myself on the bridge between, um, between who I am and how I want to make people feel. But I think that continuing to show up is part of the work, even when I'm not always like thrilled about it. Um, but I think the thing that's given me the most joy is how softly I am able to talk about things that do ring so difficult, uh, for me, right? Like language is, is a huge, huge, huge part of, um, of what I aspire to do and whether it's me finding the language or me helping other people find the language for themselves, it's, it's really, really huge for me. Um, and that in and of itself for me also feels like love. So that, those are the things I think I want to be remembered for. I think I'm carving that out right now. Um, and I will, I will get there. I'll get there. All right, so this next set of questions is about self-love. So question number five, what is your self-care routine? Ha. <laughs> um, no, I'm kidding. I think that um, I'm still trying to figure out what exactly that looks like. I've, I've always been kind of one of those people who mistook self-care for self-maintenance, right? So I'm like, oh, I'm doing a self-care day. And really that's just me going to get my nails done, lashes done, pedicure, you know what I'm saying? Get my hair done get a wax, you know what I'm saying? Do all the things. And I've, I've counted that as self-care, but really what that is, is like, it's aesthetics maintenance. And I think it contributes to my routine. Like when I look good, I feel good. Yes. But I think my self-care routine looks like silence. Um, I think my self-care routine looks like telling my friends I want to see them, um, asking them to come spend time. Um, and that might not sound very much like solo care, but it's very much self-care for me. Um, I think self-care for me lately has been looking like getting, mustering up the energy to make myself a good meal, knowing that I'll thank myself for it later. Um, self-care looks like not pretending to be happy when I'm sad. And I think self-care is figuring out what it looks like to let myself be loved by other people too. I have always been a hyper-independent person, um, you know, and I think that I'm just, I'm very used to figuring it out. Um, I've got really great people in my corner, but I do think that there are still moments where, you know, you're just aware that like, it's, it's really just like you kind of up against whatever it is that you're going through. And in those moments, I tend to be a lot more withdrawn. So I am trying to give people the space to love on me um, by telling them what I need and then letting them show up or not and not holding, um, not attaching my self-worth to that either way. These are good. Okay. Ooh, all right. Number six, lessons on body acceptance and love baby. Now listen, if y'all listen to episode seven, then you heard me talk about this. I am still learning to love this body. And I've never, I don't think there's been a point in time. Let me say I've never, I'm sure I have, but I am trying not to do the thing where I talk about my body. Like she doesn't belong to a good, good friend of mine. She does. She does, right? This body is mine and I am my best friend. I love her. I would never talk about my best friend like that. So I think the first part of it, um, and actually it was, it was my time spent on social media, specifically TikTok, um, where I, I realized that 
my negative self-talk just didn't serve me anymore. And a large part of that is because while I've been maneuvering through the world, sharing my outfits of the day and, you know, whatever it is that I'm doing, what I have going on, people are telling me that my body looks like theirs, right? People are seeing themselves in me and me in them. And the exchange there is, I think, a really beautiful one, a really vulnerable one. And I always take it as a compliment, right? These are, are women. These are people who I perceive as very, very beautiful, right? And not just like here, but here, like in the heart. And when I think about it that way, I feel like I, I owe them the kindness of not critiquing their taste in me, right? Like I appreciate their taste. I do. Um, and I'm always flattered by it. And as such, when I remove myself from that, when it, even when I'm not the subject of it, that is how I came to accept and appreciate my own body. Um, now another part of that quite transparently was my relationship with, you know, intimacy um, on the other side of being single. A lot of where my body negativity came from was my previous relationships. Um, you know, the last two that I was in, um, especially as I started, as my weight gain and my relationship with Newton started to become more noticeable uh, to others, even though it hadn't necessarily hit me just yet. And when it was brought to my attention, it was brought to my attention by him and it was heartbreaking. It resulted in a string of arguments that lasted for months. It went on publicly. It was nearly our undoing. Um, a thing that should have been undone anyway, but still um, a really large part of like our downward uh, relationship arc. And I remember carrying that shame um, about my weight gain into my next relationship, which is such a shame because this new man was not comparing an old me to this me. He saw me as I was and decided I was beautiful um, and, and wanted to be with that. And I made that portion of our relationship hell with my insecurity, but it was not his insecurity to solve. Um, it was mine. It was mine. And so now on the flip side of that relationship, understanding where I really, really went wrong um, in, in projecting things onto him, projecting thoughts onto him about my body um, is crazy. It's crazy, right? And it was just, it was unfruitful. It was unhelpful. Um, he will definitely, if we were, you know, if he were ever to, to engage with this, he would tell you that that was definitely one of the bigger challenges, like from my side of the relationship was that I couldn't accept that he just thought I was beautiful as I was. Um, there were other reasons why I, there were other reasons why we had that challenge as well. Like it wasn't, it wasn't all a, you know, a me thing. Um, but that aside, being single showed me the difference between like launching my body at the nearest object of my desire and actually finding my body beautiful and, and worth wanting to share it with someone. Um, and so, yeah, I just, I really needed to take that time and like sort of decentralize one specific man's opinion, um, from, from, you know, my relationship and proximity to my body. Um, and you know, start to think that it was sexy independent of that. And eventually I did. Um, and now even on the days where I'm not looking at myself as like some sort of sex object, sex symbol, I look at myself and I'm like, Hey girl, yeah, you cute. Right. Or Hey girl, you're here. And some days that's all I got. 
some days that is literally all I've got. And on the days that that's all I have, I let that rock too. Um, and I just go get myself some good food and I call it a damn day. Seven, how did you make friends moving to a new city? So great question. Um, fully transparently, I already had some like relationships here in Charlotte. My, my mom has lived here for the last five, six years. So um, I knew a couple of people down here, but largely the reason that I did is because they reached out and said, oh, hey, like I'm down here. Or I have a girlfriend who just moved here from um, California at the same time that I was figuring out if I wanted to move down here. So a system started to emerge for me at the time that I was making my decision about planting roots here in Charlotte. It was a large part of the reason that I made the decision to leave New York slash Jersey when I did. Um, and so I didn't feel like I was starting like net new. I didn't feel like I was starting totally from scratch. There were women who I'd known in other spaces and knew in other ways who reached out and they were like, hey, like I'm gonna be in this area or hey, I already live here, girl, let's hang out. And then we would go to dinner and just like kiki and laugh and have a great time and like really find um, all of this valuable connection with one another. Um, and that was really, really great. But I actually do talk about like making new friends in episode five, um, at the end of episode five in the just the tip piece, I call them the three E's. And so it's encouragement, engagement, and emotion. And essentially like that is kind of your way of like, if you're trying to make a new friend in a new space, like encouragement could be something as simple as a compliment. Um, it could be something as, you know, um, hey girl, I'm real proud of you. I just wanted to reach out and let you know. I've seen what you've been doing. Like, that's really dope. Would you like to link up and like have a drink, right? It could be that. Um, engagement looks like, you know, especially nowadays, I think when so many people are like putting out some form of content, engaging with that content, but like on a more deep level, right? So like, you know, you're sharing something, you're maybe reposting it, whatever, whatever. And then you reach out and be like, hey girl, I really love what you did with XYZ. All of this, of course, is what I'm talking about through like, you know, the social media platforms. Um, and then lastly, this piece is emotion. Not every friend is going to be, y'all have heard me say this before, all purpose like flower. Like, you know, maybe your club friend is not your in the house watching House of the Dragon, Game of Thrones friend. And that's okay. What we have to stop doing is expecting like that we're going to meet one person and they are going to fill every single one of the roles that we have for ourselves and like all of our emotional needs. So it's important that I think you sort of like check in and see what it is that's going to be like valuable for you with this person. Um, and then let it be okay if you have to compartmentalize that because again, they don't need to be everything for you, but they just shouldn't make you feel drained after hanging out with them because that's the other emotional piece that I think is really important. Now, as for where to meet new friends, I'm a big, big fan of meeting people out socially doing independent hobbies. I know there are a lot of people who like, like to go do a thing with like a friend who's already kind of there with them. Personally, I tend to stay away from that and here's why. When you arrive somewhere as a unit or as a, as a click, not saying that you're doing clicky things, but like if let's say, for example, that was the case, like people are going to have a harder time, like you're not going to like draw in the other individual, you know, sort of like units quite as readily. And when I see units, I mean people. Um, so I don't know why I said it like that, but when you're, you know, when you're trying to like build connection, it's hard for you to build connection sometimes in groups. And so I'm a huge fan of going out to like solo group things. That's what I call them. Um, so I just started taking a pottery class. Um, this tomorrow is like week three. I'm very excited about it. Baby girl loves pottery. She's not even good at it. I'm not very good at pottery right now. I think a large part of that is because of these nails, but we'll figure it out. We're going to figure it out. And when we do, 
I'm going to be throwing clay everywhere, throwing it. Okay. Throwing that clay in a circle. All right. That's going to be me. Um, but I went there solo, even if I had girlfriends who like wanted to do it with me, not that they don't, but if they did, and we were able to get like booking in the same class, that's something I would still want to do by myself so that I could meet other people who have a similar interest to me. And that interest, even if it's just pottery is enough. So yeah, those are my thoughts on making friends in a new city girl. And you know, good luck. Good luck. I think everybody deserves to have community. So I, I really hope that we all find it. Can y'all believe we're only on question eight? Oh my gosh. Okay. Um, what's been my best investment thus far? Therapy. Therapy. When I tell you Donna got all my dollars, Donna got every dollar I damn got. Donna got every dollar I have ever had and ever will make. Okay. Donna's getting royalties. All right. Um, but no, seriously, therapy, um, hands down, the best money I've ever spent, um, was spent figuring out my why and starting to unpack things that I did not even perceive at the time as trauma, calling things what they are, understanding that like there is somebody who in the world is going to be objective about the things that I'm going through and, um, and, and have a desire to hear my perspective, to tell me that I'm not you know, crazy for the way that I perceive things. Um, and to sometimes hold up a mirror to me for the things that I don't want to see and still, um, and still show up anyway. Right. And I know that like therapy in essence is, you know, transactional, right. But there is a high level of trust there. And so in that way, the same way that I'm investing in the trusting of another person is the way that eventually over time I was able to start to trust myself to make some decisions um, and not need to check in with her, right? And then I would just like report things back and she'd be like, sounds like you're setting those boundaries that we were talking about. And I was like, you're darn tootin', Donna. Yeah, yeah, you're darn tootin'. <laughs> so yeah, therapy, hands down, hands down. And I'd do it again. She could have every dollar I have. Um, or any therapist good, but she's, she's really, really great. Number nine, am I currently happy? I think so. I think so. Um, I think that there are large pockets of joy in my life. Large. Um, I love my friendships. Um, even though they're changing, um, maybe because they're changing is why I love them. Um, I love my family. It's so good to be close to home. It's, it's so good to be close to anybody again. Um, I love that for 10 years I've been away from home. I've been away from home actually since 16. So I've been away for 12 years. Just out here in, in, in the world, raw dog in life. Um, and I forgot what it was like to be able to call my mom and see her 30 minutes later. That is where a lot of my joy is coming from right now is she and I like rebuilding our relationship. Not that there was ever, not that there was anything wrong with our relationship, but like getting to love her up close is making me happy. I feel like I'm healing something in my inner child. Um, and I think that my inner child is, is a teenager and my teenager is 16. My inner teenager is probably 16 years old uh, because that is a time when I went away for school. Um, and I think there were just big, big pieces that I was sort of missing as I was moving through the world. And it's, it's nice now to be getting back to her. Um, as for the rest of it, I think there are things that like I wish there were more of, you know what I'm saying? Um, 
but I'm not, I'm not mad about it. I'm certainly not sad about anything. I just feel like maybe I could be happier. 10. What joys do I feel like I'm missing right now? The joy of partnership. The joy of partnership. I miss being loved and being loved well. And there are times, quite frequently lately, where I ask myself if that's ever what I've experienced. Um, not even to, this isn't even about the men that I dated. I just, I don't know that I'd seen enough examples um, or experienced enough examples of what it looked like to be sustainably loved in a healthy way over a long period of time that I do wonder if every experience that I'm pulling on is, is the romanticized version. That's me being honest, right? And so the joy that I feel like I'm missing is like outside of the memory. What is it exactly about relationships that I want again? And, and I think it's like, it's the piece of being known. I want to be known. I want to feel seen. I want to, I want somebody to be excited when they're on their way home to see me or, you know, like dates are fun. I've been enjoying the dating process. I've had plenty of, of romance in my life, but those Moments have been inconsistent. Those moments have not, over a long period of time, been with the same person. Um, and in that way, I do feel like that is a, a significant joy that I think I'm missing that I would love, love to have. Um, and I think that's really like the only one. Well, actually, no, I think there is the other one, which is like the joy of, of, of keeping promises to myself. Um, I feel like there's a lot of self-satisfaction that comes from like just being, like doing what you say you're going to do especially when it's for you. Like the podcast for me is like one of those ways that I keep that commitment to myself. But like, you know, presently, like I've, I've been saying for years, like, Oh, I want to be like a gym girl. I mean, I don't really want to be like an active gym girly, but like, I want to start to get fit, you know what I'm saying? And for whatever reason, there's been like a roadblock with that. Now I want to just be really clear because I know that like people see people talking about like their experiences with their bodies and wanting to lose weight or whatever. And then just say things like, we'll just go to the gym. I understand. I'm going to assume that there is like a positive spirit in that, but I just, I want to let it be known that like, it feels really reductive when people say that. Like, it's my least favorite thing for people to be like, oh yeah, well, if you just start, you know what I'm saying? Or like, it feels really good also to like go to the gym. Like, I understand all of that, right? Like, but I'm addressing here the roadblock of it. Um, and it does feel like there is one and it's something that I've been trying to unpack around like my relationship with my body for years. Um, and given that I think that it has nuance, I really hate it when people are like reductive about that. I'm sure a lot of people are experiencing the same thing. Um, and for whatever reason, that is just the one place where I find it really, really hard to self-improve. Um, so that is something that I also feel like, like the satisfaction of kind of starting with that and, and continuing with it would be, I think really cool. Um, but it is also a joy that I do not know. Um, number 11. So actually this is okay. Number 11 is a question that I love asking men that I'm dating and I like asking friends that are new. So I asked this question and I'm asking this question to myself now because I just realized that I've never answered this publicly. Um, which is what's something that you love about yourself that you wish more people noticed about you? Um, and for me, I think that that is, I wish more people noticed about me that I am like smart. And I know y'all are going to be like, 
bitch, shut the fuck up. <laughs> I know. I, I know. This is not me trying to be like self-deprecating because I know that like when I move through the world in certain spaces, I am received as like a smart ass. I am received as like smart, like well-spoken and all these other things. But the way that I want to be perceived when I'm moving through the world is actually like intelligent. And I feel like I now nowadays, like it's funny because I used to hear it all the time when I was a kid. And like now it's it's sort of more like, damn, like I, I, I want somebody to understand that like my capacity for like deep thinking is is here and strong. And I know that I frequently talk about like a lot of lighthearted subjects. I think the reason why is just because I I don't feel like I need to prove, you know, the way that I feel about myself to anyone. I just kind of wish it was something that like people called out more. It was actually something that the favorite, um, you know, Polaris from episode six called out to me um, about myself that I really, really appreciated. Um, and it made me feel exceptionally seen by him, which was, I think, a large part of like why, why I felt the way that I did about him, because like he, he understood, he sort of scratched at that with me and I really, really liked it. Um, and so, yeah, romantically and otherwise, I think that's just something like I wish, I wish more people, you know, kind of under understood like my capacity for it, but also like my interest in, in intellectual spaces. Um, I'm a very unserious person and I, I like that about myself, like I said, but you know, it'd be nice to sort of have that, the depth, um, engaged. I would, I would like to do that with someone who also doesn't take themselves super seriously. Cause I think that's the other thing. I think that might be the other thing. Okay. Um, y'all, I really don't want this episode to be like 80 hours long. So let me try to, let me try to skedaddle through these. Okay. Um, all right. So did I, in number 12, I don't know which way this is going to be facing. Okay. Um, did I encounter pushback in roster dating or any double standards from men? I think no, like by and large, no. Um, there wasn't really anyone at least not from my remembrance, um, who sort of stood out as like being frustrated by the experience or whatever. There was one guy who I realized later down the line had a very different interpretation of what we were doing than what I was doing. Um, and what I, what I thought I'd quite clearly communicated was happening. Um, and he like kind of broadly knew that he was not the only one, but was not acting like it and assumed that by the way that we were spending time together, that that had changed on mine, but it hadn't it hadn't. Um, and so it ended up becoming a sticking point, like later down the line when, you know, we started talking again and he was like, I can't believe that you were, you know, you were dealing with other people, whatever, whatever. And like you and I, we were together all the time. I was like, no, actually we were together once a week. And so, um, so I still had six other days, you know what I'm saying? Like to, to do what I thought we were both in agreement about what was going to be happening here was your decision to only date me exclusively. was not my decision to date you exclusively. Um, and so I felt like from that point on, I felt like I had to be really, really meticulous about the way that I explained it. Um, damn near to the point that it felt ridiculous to keep repeating it because it's not something you really want to throw in anybody's face. Um, but no, I haven't received that sort of pushback, only resentment in the aftermath, which I always find out about in the aftermath. Um, and I do not make that my problem. I just don't make that my problem. Um, and then there was like, there was one other guy who like, I found out later, like through social media that he had an issue with like the way that I was talking about courting Courtney. This is not a man that I was dating. 
And I was like, I just think it's odd that like I'm hearing somebody else tell me that you don't like what I'm talking about here on my channel. You just don't have to be here. You just don't have to be here. Turns out he had a crush. And so he was like, he didn't appreciate the fact that like I was talking about like my dating life or whatever. And it's like, you did not make your advances known. I don't know what to do with that. I don't know what to do with that. Like, I'm not going to quietly crush on somebody who's clearly actively moving through the dating world quite boldly even like literally so boldly um and if you're not if you're not a shot shooter you gonna have to go you have to go you gonna have to be a, a scooter if you're not a shooter because I do not understand what the point is of like you just you're sitting here and you're kind of taking up space in my dms having light chill casual conversation and like you won't put no moves on somebody who is a, like who is in the thick of a roster that's weird to me. I don't, I don't appreciate that. That also brings me to another thought, damn it, on the friend zone, but we're going to have to do another podcast episode on that. I feel like the friend zone is like a really, a really valuable, very sticky thing for us to talk about, but it deserves its own thing. Number 13, lucky number 13. Um, how do you remain optimistic in dating and relationships even after failure? I love this question. Somebody asked me this and I did make a TikTok response to it at the time, but I felt like it was important to revisit. So um, thing number one is that it's really important to like keep yourself in the frame of reference here, right? Like my optimism is large in part due to the fact that I'm an optimistic person because I expect good things from myself. And so, and because I know that a lot of people can expect good things from me, I move through the world with the expectation that I can also get that from other people. I am disappointed frequently enough but it has not been worth me changing the way that I engage with folks just to like avoid being hurt. I would rather know that I have the capacity to put myself out there. So um, I said in the, in the video that I made about it earlier that, um, you know, my, my heart stays open because my mind is clear. When I think about myself, I think about someone who is loving and kind and smart and funny um, and charming and a little bit of a try hard, right? Like very effortful. And when I'm thinking about all those things and I'm attributing all of those as positive qualities, but I'm also a person who fucks up sometimes and fails and, you know, lies on occasion, not about big stuff, but like every so often I'll be like, oh, that's an untruth. And, um, and, you know, and, and, and sometimes we'll unintentionally manipulate, right? Or we'll reframe a thing in a way that is maybe not ideal. And when I'm doing all of those things, but I can still experience myself as a kind, generally good person, it grants me room to do that with other people too, right? Like if I'm fucking up, but I'm trying and it's not malicious, but I'm trying and I'm putting in the work and I'm doing the, the effortful things and I'm giving myself grace, but I'm still holding myself accountable and sometimes doing it publicly on platforms like this. If I can do all of that, then I can hold that same sort of space for somebody whose intent maybe isn't malicious. They just did a stupid thing. You know, they led with their heart and they did a stupid thing or they you know, led with their brain and they did a stupid thing and it happens all the time. And I think that's the thing that keeps me optimistic. And I know that I can't expect that everybody has my heart, but I'm surrounded by enough people who have a heart that's real, real good that I'm not super worried about attracting people whose hearts are, are, are not in that same sort of place. And quite frankly, I just ask God to protect me from any other riffraff anyway. Mm-hmm. 14. All right, y'all, because I already told y'all, I don't want this episode to be 811 minutes long. But it might be. This is probably going to be like an hour and a half. And we just got to roll with the punches, okay? 
Number 14, are you ready to love again? I think so. I, I hope so. What Kodak Black say? I hope so. Um, no, I, I, I think so, but not, not fully. Um, there is a part of me that like, while I'm in the, while I'm in like the, the pull and tug of like, I want romance in my life so bad to love is beyond romance. Like to love is beyond like the, the romance as a verb, um, to love is to make constant choices. Um, and I don't know that I'm in a space to make those sort of constant choices with somebody else in mind right now, when everything that I want feels like, even though it's for the community, the work is actually quite selfish. Damn. Yeah, but it is right. Like the, the work is the work here is quite selfish. It's quite lonely, quite intimately lonely. And that's partly by design. And I think that it's important for me right now in this very moment to sit with whatever the silence is trying to tell me. Do I want to be loved? Yes. Yes, I do. Do I know what it would look like to give somebody my best love right now? I don't. And so while I aspire to romance at like this deep sort of like ephemeral in my bones level, do I know that I have the capacity to sustain it every day? I thought I did maybe with Polaris. I thought I did. Um, I really do think that I did. And on the, on the, I wouldn't even call it on the other side of heartbreak. I think quite frankly, my heart is still broken. Um, but it's just broken in a different sort of way because I know I partly did it to myself. So now being on the other side of that, it does make me wonder, right? Like, am I, am I? And I, I, I don't know. I hope I find out, but right now I, I don't know. Ooh, okay. Uh, 15. <laughs> Shit, y'all. <laughs> um, the biggest lesson that I've learned from dating and meeting new people. The biggest lesson that I've learned in dating is that the goal of dating is for, is to let people bring things out of you. Dating should be about capturing new experiences with fun companions right? Um, I'll give you an example about something that's currently happening in my personal life. Um, I'm going to a petting zoo soon on Saturday. I'm going to a petting zoo. Uh, this is very exciting for me. In my heart, I think I'm a country girl. Now, don't get it twisted, all this gold around me that you're like, uh, ma'am, Miss Mamas, no. But I think really at the core of like who I am as a person, like I really value like the simplicity of just like being outdoors. Um, I hate bugs. Yes. But like, I, I really appreciate, I think that like the, the value set, um, of, of country girl sentimentality. And so, you know, somebody who wants to take me to pet some emu, it's nice. You know what I'm saying? It's nice. Um, you know, bowling with a guy. It's fun. I'm not particularly bad at bowling, but I'm certainly not great. I'm certainly not great. Um, I'm a long ways away from when I bowled that 13 that one time. But this past time I went and I bowled a 93 and I was really proud of myself because I was like, damn girl, look at you go. You know what I'm saying? Grow. However, um, you should be dating people who bring out different experiences in you. You know what I'm saying? Um, I've dated a guy who like, you know, wanted to stream chess on Twitch and I, I didn't enjoy it at all. I thought it was actually quite 
quite unfun to watch. Um, but you know, it was a thing that I, I learned a lot about chess during that time. And I it was like, cool. Right. I take that lesson. I tuck it in my back pocket. I go on about my business. Um, you know, there's a guy that I dated who like, you know, only wanted to do road trips. There was a guy I went to Italy with. There's, you know, a homeboy I'm going, I'm going to play putt putt for literally the first time in my grown ass life. I'm going to play putt putt soon, like this weekend also. And I'm going to have a blast. I know it in advance, right? And so if the goal is to be collecting, um, not collecting, but, you know, if the goal is, is is experience, right, instead of possession, which is something that I've always struggled with because my thing is like, okay, cool, like we, yeah, and you and me, yeah, and then, um, and then we go together forever real bad. Um, I think where I'm sort of transitioning to is realizing that the goal here now is to be experiencing life and I was going to do that kind of on my own accord, but I'd also like to be doing that with, with someone, with a companion. And I don't think that there's anything wrong with that. And so I think that like, that's kind of been the biggest lesson is that like, I don't have to, we don't have to fall in love in order to enjoy our time together. Um, and in fact, to the extent that I have had more fun than not during this dating process, I really feel like that's what everybody should be attempting to do. Um, even if we don't always get there all the time. Last question in this section. Ooh, ooh, 16, what's my type of man and what do I find to be some of the most attractive qualities? Now listen, listen, okay. My type of man, for real, for real, and watch me, watch y'all. A couple years from now, we gonna come back and, and look at this particular piece and be like, is this who she ended up with? Because it probably won't be, I bet you. But I'm gonna say it anyway, damn it. Wishful thinking, you know, from from, from my mouth to God's ears. Um, my type of man on a, on a physical, in a physical sort of way is just burly, burly. Um, a man who looks like a lumberjack. You, I want you to look like you chop a tree or two. And if you haven't before, then you might. And if you didn't, then maybe that's something we could do together. Let's go to Vermont, big daddy. You know what I'm saying? That sounds like fun to me. Um, uh, let me throw you in a plaid shirt and, and make you flapjacks you know what I'm saying oh a vibe um so yeah I think like that's like you know at, at the core of it all I think like a big burly man who makes me feel all like little and protected I think is like very very attractive um you know I have had a tendency to to find dark-skinned men like I, I have like a, a dark-skinned big burly man preference for sure um but I think I'm open like really outside of that the big thing is like I need you to be taller than me significantly because I'm five, five, but I'm a big girl. You know what I'm saying? She's two thirty five about here. And, um, that's not little, that's not little. It's not little. Um, so, you know, there's that, um, in terms of all the other stuff, I really feel like it's there. The other qualities that I think are like really attractive. Um, the number one thing that I'm looking for now, I've heard me say this before is lifestyle compatibility, right? Um, I want to be with someone who has the same sort of values as me when I'm thinking about building a future for myself, um, and for my family. So having those two things in alignment, family values and lifestyle values are big. I'll give you an example. Something for me that's like huge, um, is hiring help. I am beyond the stage now where I'm going to suffer through anything that I could pay somebody to come and help me with. A task rabbit, a house cleaner, a plumber when when shit's backed up, and and um an exterminator when you know I see a bug 
and then I see a different bug. I'm, yeah, because one thing about it, Courtney gonna call somebody. You know what I'm saying? Um, I'm gonna take my car to the dealership and and do all the things. You will not find me anymore trying to DIY um, things that help with the smooth functioning of my life. Where I will be focusing my DIY ass energies are on fun, creative projects, right? on fun things, on fun pieces, on things that feel like statements, on things that bring me real joy with no actual consequences attached to them. That is where I will be putting like my creative mind warping, right? But like anything else, Courtney, just simply, I will not be doing that. So my type of man is somebody who one, has a respect for that. And then either we're aligned in that way or he's cool with taking some of those things on, right? Like, a, a happy Courtney is a Courtney that does not have to maneuver through logistics too deeply because I can get it done. But is it the best use of my skill set? No, no, it's not. Um, so that's thing number one. Thing number two, something that I feel like is really important is I need to date a man with a solid sense of humor. You do not need to be like, haha, riot, funny. I need you to have your own independent sense of humor. And I need it to maybe be a little bit dark. If for nothing else. Three, in an ideal world, I'm dating somebody who also likes to host parties. And like, like I don't need you to be the life of the party. I need you to like be cool with either my doing it or or like it happening in general. And like in that sense, I need you to be like really cool with like being a support system of mine, right? And like figuring out what that means. Um, somebody who is, you know, like what does Whitley say? Somebody who's like, intuitive and enterprising and all of those things. I don't really put dollar values on that. I feel like that sort of man is literally always right. Like in, in, in the midst of greatness, like that sort of man is like always, you know, trending towards success. I feel like those are things that are really valuable for me. Again, somebody who has those family values, um, somebody who doesn't take themselves super seriously. I tend to lean into more serious men and then bring the goofy out of them, like bring some of the playfulness out of them. I'm cool with that dynamic. I don't really need to date like a goofball, but like I said, you need to have a sense of humor because if you don't think I'm funny, I'm going to be so sad. If I never make you laugh, I'm going to be so sad. And moreover, if you're never able to make me laugh, I'm going to leave you. That's really the tea. I'm going to leave. Um, and now what? Now we're both upset. In terms of the other stuff, um, you know, again, someone who's generous, um, someone who, you know, has like a capacity for care, somebody who has really like the ability to compassionately lead. Compassionate leadership is like a really big thing for me. Um, someone who, I'm trying to think y'all, what else do I like? What else do I like? I would honestly love to be with somebody who is also a romantic, like, but not like, you don't have to be like, you know, flowery and like po po poetic -y and whatnot about it. But like somebody who's really thoughtful, um, you know, somebody who has like a bit of a soft side, even if it's only for like me and the family and for our kids, somebody who loves kids, somebody who wants kids, all of those things are like incredibly attractive to me. Um, and I think all of them are important. I don't want to have to pick and choose between all of those things and then worry about, is this man loyal? 
Is he going to cheat? You know what I'm saying? I don't want to have to think about all those things. I think that those things should be incumbent to the, to the process of me choosing that sort of man. And I know that that is not always the case. And so what I may be doing right now is a lot of wishful thinking, baby. I really don't know, but I know one thing for sure. Two things for certain, whoever God is, 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 is crafting for me right now out there in the ether is definitely some years older. That's the one thing that I do know. That's the only thing that I feel like I do know for sure. Okay. Uh, Y'all, now moving on to looking backward, right? So we're going to look back and we're going to look forward. But right now we're looking back, back. Um, And I want to hit y'all with like number 17. So number 17, what's some advice I would have given my teenage self? Oof. Don't rush. Don't rush. Uh, teenage Courtney had a propensity for wanting to be the youngest and in a lot of ways also wanting to be the first. And a lot of that really went hand in hand for me. I talk about that a lot more in my cookbook, Early Enough. Um, and it's called Early Enough because I was early to everything, not like time-wise because I'm, I'm also like, uh, I've gotten a lot better about it now. I'm like early to a lot of things, but, but historically I was always like five to 10 minutes late. You know what I'm saying? But that's neither here nor there. Um, a lot of the way that I have moved through the world was with a timer on with a stopwatch on needing to be the first needing to be the youngest. I was always very aware that that was something that made me different. A lot of people lauded that in me. Um, and so it was something that I leaned into because I thought that it made me special. I thought that it made me um, important, right? When really all it did was it made me young and young in spaces where I was learning a lot. I had to grow up a lot faster, um, in order to keep up with the social aspects of things that my peers were always, always two to three years ahead of me on. Right. And so I think the advice that I would tell myself as a teenager is like, don't rush. You will get there in your own time and it is okay. Um, Question 18, advice from my 25-year-old self. I love that we're taking a little leap. Um, Advice from my 25-year-old self would be... Leave. Leave. The thing that I never felt permission to do... I don't really know where the permission would have come from outside of myself, I imagine, but to leave things, right? Like one thing about it was Courtney knew very early in, there's a job I don't like, I'm a quit. You know what I'm saying? And every time I left a thing, it was always to go do a better thing, but never just leaving to get out's sake. I have always had a very hard time sitting in the lonely feeling uh, a large part of why I've made the decision to talk about, you know, my experience with dating and singleness and all of these things so out loud is because I have always had a hard time with the exit. This is the longest, y'all. I want to, like, I, I really feel like it's important to put this in the context. I've been single now for almost two years. This is the longest period of time I've ever spent on my own. Like, not consistently partnered since I was 16 years old. Yeah. 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 Okay. So I feel like it's very important to like call that out and I understand what that is and what that means for me. But I also feel like, um, 
I just, even as somebody who like, I'm, I've always been like, a, I know my worth sort of person where I've always had the hardest time drawing that line was in relationships. The question that I always asked myself was like, well, who's going to love me now? This didn't work. Who's going to love me now? That's an awful way to think, right? For myself, that's an awful way to be thinking about me who loves me so much. Who's going to love me now? Bitch, you. <laughs> you are. And it's going to be okay. And the love will come. You could have, as Tracy Ellis Ross says, a wheel of lovers. But are they going to love you to the extent that you must learn to? No. And so no love worth having is the sort of love that you feel stuck in. Leave. Period dot. Okay. Um, 19. How is my relationship with my parents? This is a really great question, y'all. Um, I'll start with my dad, actually. Because I feel like y'all already know, if you've listened to me talk about this before, then y'all have heard me talk about, you know, my mom fairly at length. So today I'll start with my dad. Um, my relationship with my dad is solid. Um, I think to the extent that there are things that need to be just kind of generally improved for where we're at. There are conversations that I think we need to have, um, about, like in order to sort of like, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? I don't think rectify is the word I want to use. Reconcile in order to reconcile, um, you know, my, my childhood and my growing up with my experiences now as an adult moving through the world, feeling like I see some gaps where, you know, conversations me and my dad should have had would have really helped me out, would have really helped me out. I also am sort of in the unique position where like my dad is very interested and open to having those conversations, but I have a very hard time with passing critique upward to him. Oh, um, I have a very hard time with that. Right. So even now I can sort of hear like the early cracklings of a cry because I know that like it is, it is so difficult for me, especially because of the way that our relationship was when I was younger to sort of un, um, to sort of undo the anxiety that I think was taught over years about what could and could not be said and about what was and wasn't my place to say as a child, um, to now be grown and to still carry that sort of anxiety with me when there's something on my mind. I also recognize though that like, it is also hard for me sometimes to go back to those places. So asking him to be accountable when I don't even want to be in, in that headspace is a hard thing to do, but I do think it's a thing worth doing. Um, and there, there are conversations worth having. Um, and I'm doing myself an active disservice by not bringing those up into light, you know, more often. Um, the other thing is though, I think the challenge with, with that particular relationship is that we don't have the same sort of shared space that my mother and I do, not just because I'm down here in Charlotte now, but because whenever I was coming home, home has always been wherever my mother was. And when I would go see my dad, it felt like I was going to go see my dad. Those feel like two very different things. When I say I'm going home, even to my father, he understands that I'm coming to Charlotte. Prior to that, it was I'm going to Atlanta. When I say I'm coming to see you, that means I'm going to Miami, right? And so I think that that's a, that is a, that is a difference in language absolutely worth interrogating. I understand that. Um, so yes, we'll put a pin in it for there. Um, I do think that there's, there's a whole other episode to be written about, um, 
about parents and the way that they play into my love languages. Um, but switching gears for a moment to talk about mom, y'all have heard me talk about my mom. She and I are like the best of friends. I feel like something that, uh, is happening though. And I've talked about this before. She knows that I feel this way. So this is not news. It's not news to either of my parents. Um, but something that they know and y'all shouldn't be, John and Teresa, if you're in here, you need to go. I should have said that before I started talking about you, but it's fine. So anyway, Teresa is, you know, my mom, she's literally my best friend. Um, but I think the challenge is we're, we're still trying to figure out like, what does it mean to be best friends who are also like a parent child relationship dynamic, um, and put boundaries in place that had never had to be enforced before because I've never lived here before. You feel me? I've never lived here before. And so for as thoughtfully and gracefully and whatever, as we're both trying to move around one another, we're kind of bumping, we're bumping heads a little bit more than we ever have because I live here and I'm not granting her access to my life in the same ways. I think she thought I was going to, when I first moved down here, largely my space, my apartment has been a great source of contention between the two of us. And I tell her, you don't live here. You don't live here. Um, and because you don't live here and because I live here in the every single day, like this is my space. I love my space. I have very particular thoughts about my space. There's a way that I want to see it shape and grow and evolve and all of those things. I need you to get out of your, but I love decor sort of space. I know that you want to show up and do these things for me, but I want to show up and do these things for me too. And so what I need in this case is a lot more, uh, urgent, than what you need and the satisfaction that you feel from being able to show up and show me how you love me in your love language when I'm telling you that the love language that I have for myself looks different. So we are still navigating that piece. Um, we've had some version of this conversation. I think she is starting to understand it, but I think that like on the more extreme end of this is like, okay, well now you just don't get access to my space anymore, right? Like if, if coming over here like launches a critique every single time, then I will begin like I would with any other friendship to remove you from that, right? That is the boundary now. That is the boundary. Um, and so I think that like, you know, that is honestly, it is the only thing that we've sort of bickered about in the 10 years <laughs> that I've been away from home. And I think that that's a really beautiful thing, right? But I also think that like we're two grown women trying to relearn each other now in a very different context. And she's still my mom. So of course the respect is there. So the way that I'm able to draw boundaries has to look different too. Um, but I also needed to be known that like, I am, I am worthy of respecting as well. And I don't think that what she's doing is disrespectful, but I wouldn't count it as respect in totality either. So we're, we're figuring out that dynamic. I love both of my parents, but my parents have been split since I was six. Um, I feel like I mentioned that maybe once before in episode three, but, um, my parents have been split since I was six. I've never known either of my parents to really be like in, in other, you know, relationships until, until I was already kind of an adult. Um, and so, yeah, yeah, that's, that's us. Okay. Question 21. What age is my inner child and how do I know? So actually funny enough, I touched on this earlier, but I think my inner child is 16. Um, and I know that usually there's like an inner child and an inner teenager and you know, all of those things. So if that's the case of my inner child, it's probably like six, but my inner teenager is definitely 16. And I think, um, six is, you know, it's at the time that my parents divorced. I think it was a time that like 
I had a lot of conflicting thoughts about what was going on. And largely one of them was relief, which I later felt guilty for that. My parents were no longer together. Um, and a large part of that sense of relief was that I think I understood from a very early age, these were two people who were not meant to be together. I say it to them all the time. So they, uh, nothing that I'm saying here, by the way, is a surprise, I think to literally anybody, but, um, yeah, I, I think I just always sort of understood that like they were, they were not for each other. They were decidedly, um, unsurprisingly not for one another. Mm -hmm. Um, I had more to say, I'm going to have to unpack that in a later, in a later thing. Because it, it informed actually a lot of why I then stayed in unhappy relationships, even after I decided that we were also not for one another. Shit. Okay. Well, my 16 year old, um, uh, inner child, inner teenager, um, is I, because like that was the time that like I left for school and I, and I just don't think that like I really got to have that sort of, um, I think from that point on, it was like, okay, I'm an adult. And I was not sure yet that I was equipped to do that. And that was honestly it. Like that was, that was such a challenge for me because I was like, I don't, I don't actually think that I'm ready to do this. You know what I'm saying? That was kind of how I felt. Um, but I was doing it and everybody applauded it and I was loving for that validation. And I think that that was the last time that I sort of felt like it was safe to say, Hey, I think I'm not okay. And I think I might be, I don't know failing a little. Um, and from that moment on, I don't feel like I've really gotten to have that sort of moment because nobody looked at me as a child anymore. Um, and so, yeah, I'd say 16 for sure. Um, so this is such an interesting question. Okay. Uh, question 22, you have such a kind approach to comments that you receive on TikTok and elsewhere. Was there someone at an early age that influenced that or did I develop it through experience? Yes. So me and my mama, me and Mama T, we would, um, she would drive me to school every day. But either of my parents would drive me to school every day. I went to a private school for like a lot of my childhood um, and then a charter school while I was in high school. And so I was always in the car. I was always in the car with one of my parents um, or sometimes an aunt or an uncle or, you know, whoever. But while I was in the car, specifically with my mom, and this was like, you know, when like email finally became a thing on phones. I would send her emails for her. She would like dictate what she wanted to say and I would type it back. So I was her like in-car secretary. She just put me to work, child labor, okay? Put me to work and I'd be responding to all these things and eventually I just sort of picked up on it. So before, like she wouldn't even have to tell me how she wanted to start the email. She wouldn't have to tell me how she wanted to end the email. She would just need to tell me the contents of the email. She'd be like, oh yeah, can you email so-and-so? And I'd be like, yeah, sure. And I would just sit there and I, this is my phone case only, but like whatever. And I'd just, you know, kind of like bang it out real quick and send it over. Um, and I was so like meticulous about it because I feel like my, my mom, even when like there were client conflicts and like she had to put out a fire, I was, I was like part of crafting that message. Like I'd say to her, like I was always like editing, right? So I'd be like, um, like, I feel like maybe there's a better way to say that. Or like, what if you say it like this? Or like, she'd throw out a thought and then I'd type the sentence down and together we would sort of collaborate on it. So I'm very used to sort of sitting with my overall thoughts on things before I actually like respond to them. But I'm also used to doing things from like a very, like everything that I do kind of gets sanitized through a professional scrub. Um, It shows up for sure in my relationships. Like, especially when I'm like, here's, how, here's where you gotta be 
Go fight. Especially when I'm like that. It's like a very like it's all it's damn near clinical. I'm working on it. But it is, it is kind of it's kind of like that. Um, my breakup text messages, like they're not actual breakup text messages because I always do like a phone call, but or like an in-person sort of vibe. But even when like, you know, it's like the early stages of getting to know somebody and I'm like, oh, we don't really have the chemistry. I feel like all I owe you, if we if we haven't been out on like a third, fourth date yet, all I really owe you is like a text and then maybe a phone call if you feel like talking. So like, it's it's a real, it's a real boilerplate sort of thing. It's not a template, but it's just like, hey, sweetheart, you know, it's been fun getting to know you, but like, I don't really think that, you know, whatever. Now, when people have me messed up on on, on the internet, it's not super often that this happens, but I'm trying to operate from a space of like education where like, I do want to give people some grace, but I'm always very clear where somebody's trying to play with me and y'all will hear it come out sometimes. Y'all will be like, oh, okay. Like Courtney got like, she, she got a little deep in her, in her accent bag. Um, cause you can usually tell when like I'm upset about something by like how, how deep my voice gets and, or where my accent sort of switches to like if if I'm back like in my Atlanta accent and it and it's not even that like it's a thing that I switch on and off I think it's a it's a comfort thing or just like when I'm upset and so or when I'm really excited and or when I'm a little lit um so you know I don't know it's a it's a it's a pinata effect you know what I'm saying you never know what you're gonna get but depending, you know, kind of on the space that I'm in, like there might be a moment where I'm just like, Hey, what you said was kind of dismissive or a little bit reductive or whatever. And then there are straight up times where I've had to be like, I think that y'all get this influencer stuff effed up. So let me just sort of take us all back for a moment and then I'll inform somebody from there. Um, so whatever I do, I feel like it needs to be something that I'm going to stand on a year from now. And there isn't anything that I've said in this period of time that I feel like I don't stand on 10 toes down. Um, and it's because I spend so much time self-editing beforehand. Y'all, I skipped a question. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> oh no. Okay. Um, someone wants to know what's the nicest thing that anyone has ever said to me. And that was question 20. And now I have to think, um, the nicest thing anyone's ever said to me. I don't know, man. I feel like people say like really like nice, kind things that just like really surprise me. Um, I will say one of the things that is just like has honestly, like honestly, it, I, I sat there and like I cried about it for a little minute. Um, it was a DM. It was a DM from a, from a girl, um, who was going through something like an experience of what I'd went through with the favorite. And she saw on my video and the, in the first podcast episode had come out, um, or the first two, I think maybe three, three episode three had already dropped. Um, and she was just like, you don't understand how, how important it is that I have the language now because you gave it to me. And I'm not going to hold you like that. Literally. I made a TikTok like right after that, just like weeping damn near. Because it was, yes, it was like, it was kind, but I didn't realize at the time that like that had kind of been the purpose of like what I was doing. Like unknowingly, I kind of found my why while I was like just trying to get through my healing. You know what I'm saying? And because I did it and I did it out loud, it was able to help someone. And even if she's the only person that it ever helps, then cool, right? Like, cool. Uh, something that stuck out to me today because nobody's ever described anything that I've done this way, um, is that my recall of these, these moments, like in the podcast when I'm talking about them is so silky 
No one's ever called anything that I've done before a silky child, but like, let me tell you what, it's giving very much silk and it's giving press. It's giving silk and it's giving press. Silk then Sonic is what it's giving. Okay. And I'm going to just lean all the way into that. I'm going to get my Sheryl Sandberg on because that, yeah. Yeah. I like that. I like that a lot. All right. Um, all right. So now we're looking forward. We're looking forward. Um, question number 23, what would I like to complete by my 30th birthday? Oh man. Okay. Um, 26 year old Courtney, two years ago would have totally been like all of my, all of my benchmarks are relationship related, right? They're all like, I want the man. I want, I want, I want the husband. I want the, you know, I want kids on the way. I want all the things. Um, and yeah, sure. Like in the back of my mind, I think all those things are nice, but like, I also want to be pragmatic, right? Like I want to be realistic. I think 28, I'm a month in, not nary a prospect. <laughs> And I'm cool with that. And I've just gotten okay with that. So I'm not even going to like drag myself for it. But if I'm at the space where like I'm good at 30 and I just feel more like myself, if I just feel like more in love with my body, if I just feel like, um, you know, I've learned something about myself sexually, if I've learned something about myself as a, um, you know, as in, in my career, if I've learned something more about myself as a creative, if I feel like I'm walking in my calling, if I feel like I've held to my promises, then I did what I needed to do. Now, as for what I'd actually like to complete, because I imagine that that's like a real like goal that you're asking me about. Um, something that I would really love to do is take like half a year off and just live abroad. That's like the gift that I want to give to myself. I never did study abroad while I was in school. I was too busy running thunder cakes. Um, and I feel like I just, I missed out on like opportunities to sort of immerse myself in a culture that has nothing to do with me. That is what I want, you know? And I don't actually really care where it is. I mean, I think like I'd, I'd love to spend time like in, in Europe because again, like food. Right. Um, but then as like as a black woman, like I, I really want to just like get my diaspora on. Um, and so I, I really kind of want to figure out like what that might look like, but travel has never been something I've put a lot of emphasis on largely because the time wasn't permitting and then the money wasn't there and then the money was there. And then I had to do other things to keep up with the money. And, you know, I'm kind of getting to a space now where it's like, okay, cool. Like I can do a quarterly vacation and I'm gonna, Right. Um, and I'm doing a monthly road trip and I, and I want to do those things too. And I feel like there's so much world to see. Um, but the world also has to see me. So I think that's, that's really what I want to do. Looking forward. I don't know why I put this in the looking forward piece. I, I don't know where to put this question, but I liked it. So I just wanted to answer it. Um, is how do I handle rejection? I'm getting better. I'm getting better. The thing that I'm learning, there there are two ways, I think, kind of. One, I understand rejection even in like the little things. So like rejection could theoretically be the way that I tried to record this podcast episode earlier and my microphone was on mute the whole damn time. Now, I didn't think that that was the case and I was pretty sure that I was getting it to work beforehand, but baby, I guess not, right? And in that way, I feel like it was not meant for me to try to re-record that night when my energy was low when, you know what I'm saying? My, my voice was a little bit hoarse when I really just didn't have it to give at my best. That is rejection. And that's protection too, because quite frankly, I never know which episode is going to be the one where I say some shit that changes somebody's life. I don't know. 
And I really don't know if this is going to be the episode that I say that changes my own life. I don't know, but I feel like whatever I do, I think I owe it to myself to like take a break, sit down, recalibrate, and then come back. That for me is what rejection is kind of at its core. Now, romantic rejection, I, um, I, I struggle with rejection. I think maybe like anybody else does, but one thing about it though, Courtney really don't got no shame when it comes to asking the questions. I'm going to ask a question. It might lead me to rejection, but I did ask what I needed to ask in order to get the answer. That's going to help me get over it in the long term. Right. I'm never mad that I ask a thing. Even when I don't like the answer, I'm never like, I wish I hadn't known that. Mm, not too much. You know what I'm saying? I'm always glad when I do. Like, I'll, I'll give y'all like a light. I'll give y'all a little light example. If y'all be in my lives, you maybe heard me talk about this before. Um, I was seeing somebody at the top of this summer. We were dealing with one another. You know what I'm saying? Things are, things are, things are cute. Things are cute. Um, and I noticed just after like a couple of our hangouts, so like communication had sort of died off. This isn't a man who really owes me anything for real, for real, you know, and I, I feel very strongly about that. Um, I feel like I tend to take rejection to heart the most when like you've, you've offered things involuntarily or not involuntarily, voluntarily, when you've offered things voluntarily and then you're like, Oh, nope, gotcha. And you know, and you take all that back. I'm like, well, damn, you didn't even really have to do all that. You didn't, you didn't have to tell me anything at all. You, you were the one talking about the whatever, you know what I'm saying? Um, so that was like very different, but I just noticed like a communication sort of fall off. Things had changed. The dynamic felt different. And, um, I was like, you know what, Courtney, you owe it to yourself to get the answer. Right. And if for nothing else, then you just sort of know where homeboy's head is at and then you're good to go. Right. You're in the clear. You're good. So even though this was somebody that I was like really, really feeling, he was just not feeling me in the same way. And so when I asked him, I was like, hey, I kind of feel like, like, you know, communication is a little drier. Like if you're less interested, feel free to let me know. And, um, and I was like, so that I know where to put my energy. And he came back and he was like, you know, actually, yeah, um, I don't think it's really something that you did, but like, you know, my interest has, has changed. I was like, all right, cool. Left it there. I was like, I wish you all the best in your search for whatever you're looking for. And I pieced the hell out. There was nothing else to discuss. I'm not going to let this man tell me he don't want me twice. I'm not about to do it. And this is a lesson that's very new for Courtney. This is a very new lesson for me. Because when I tell you that like a lot of like, I thought that like persistence was going to um, undo rejection. Ooh, this feels like a word. Hold on. Let me, let me, um, let me organize my thoughts. Got it. I thought the persistence was going to undo rejection, Right. The problem is I was being persistent with the person who had already rejected me. This is very different than like going, you know, from like person to person and like waiting on your yes, right? Like in doing the work for your yes. I was waiting on a yes from the same person who had already told me no. In the same way that I am so used to like working hard until I get what I want, People are not like that. Relationships are not like that. This man does not owe me acknowledgement for my continued effort. Okay. So when somebody tells me, no, I believe them now, this is new, but I believe them now. And I go on about my black ass business. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Question 25. How's your relationship with control last year versus this year? We're working on it. We're, we're on the way. Um, baby girl, really me and control, we go together like this real bad. Okay. Real bad. Um, I think a large part of that is because I'm so used to being the person who is responsible for however a thing goes. 
However it shakes out, whatever takes place, it's usually me um, in a lot of these cases where I am solely responsible for the outcome, right? Like my career, I am responsible for the outcome. I just need to get people to believe in me, right? That's it. And um, I've always been able to do that. At the same time, I have always been able to piece out, dip in, dip out whenever I've needed to of things in a way that made me feel like I was very in control of what was going on. The thing about control is that it's also about trust, right? You're not actually in control if you're like operating from a place of mistrust. So I've been holding on to control like this because I didn't feel like I could, I could lean on anyone to put my trust into. And so what I thought was leadership was really just me clinging quite desperately, quite sadly, even, um, to, to like a, to, um, to an outcome. Right. Instead of letting things kind of be what they were and like letting that get revealed to me over time, I was holding on to this like this and it was scraping all the skin off my palms because I was just struggling with it. Right. I think I'm in a space now where I am starting to put systems of trust in my life, um, hiring an assistant. Right. Um, you know, being able to communicate with people, telling my friends like, yo, I'd love to see you. And knowing that we are going to get to see one another as, as soon as possible, right? Um, telling my mom, hey, like I'm, I'm coming over to the house. And like those little things for me are starting to build systems of trust in my life. And they're very, very important. Um, and trust allows me to relinquish control. And so now I don't have to think so hard. I'm not as stressed. I feel like there's more room for softness in my life because I'm not so worried about desperately trying to hold on to one specific outcome. I'm letting the outcomes happen because they will either way. Because they will either way. 26. What are you hoping to learn this year about yourself? Um... Well, I think I kind of answered in question 25, but what I'm, what I'm hoping to learn about myself this year is my capacity for trust. Um, I'm a very like questioning person, but the questions usually come for me like in the, in the aftermath of a, of a thing, you know, where I'm like reflective. I think I would love to learn to trust myself enough to start asking some questions on the upfront and letting it be okay, whatever answers I get. That's something I haven't historically been very good at, right? Like I don't push back on a lot of things in the moment um, or challenge a lot of things. I sort of make note of them and then like sit with them until later, until everything shakes out. And then I go back and I see if that matches up with my notes. And like, I don't think I want to live my life in the fringes. I don't think I want to live in the margins anymore. Like I want to be living um, and I want to be asking questions in real time. I want to be part of the discussions. I want to be in the community. I want to be in the room where it's happening. And I'm not there right now because I'm not asking the questions to build the trust to get there. Ah, 27. Do I have any reservations about how publicly facing I'm becoming? Partly, yeah. Um, you know, on the one hand, from a romantic perspective, there is a part of me, because like the one thing that I don't worry about is like, oh, the man who's out there for me probably won't like that I'm doing this podcast thing. No, there is a man out in the universe who like loves that I'm doing this, that I'm exploring it out loud, who sees the vision, who understands it. Like I am not concerned about that piece. And quite frankly, I don't give too many shits about this imaginary man anyway, right now, right? Like if the goal for single Courtney is to flesh out every one of single Courtney's thoughts, then I cannot move through the world in fear of what a man who I haven't met yet 
is thinking about this piece of work that I'm putting out. I refuse to live my life that way. So that's thing number one on the romantic front because people have asked me that before. Thing number two is that, um, yes, it is weird to be pulling back the layers of my life like this, right? But I think the beauty in it is that I get to be experienced as a full human person, even in digital spaces. And I really love that. I like that I get to come to y'all with my flaw and my accountability and, you know, and, and the fact that I'm like a try hard and with all these cuss words and all the creative ways that I have to say cutey and you know what I'm saying? And like, I've got all these, I've got all these things, right? And like, I really do feel like I contain multitudes. And so, because I feel like I do, I want to be able to show up in all of them. And I think that the right opportunities are going to find me because they recognize that there is a community here that is that is bought in and that loves me and that I love because of the authenticity that's here. What I am really deeply not concerned about are the things that I say and how they're perceived as publicly facing. Um, I think I, of course, don't want them to ever like blow back on my family. Um, the the only other piece I would actually say, like it's kind of like, it's, a, it's an inkling in the back of my mind. It's just like, even though I feel like I'm very like careful when I'm talking about like my previous dating situations or whatever, um, I feel like not everybody's going to be happy with the way that they're like thought of or like recalled. And I try to be really, really mindful of that. Like I don't say anything that like I hadn't already said to them or like, you know, wouldn't bring up to them. But there are some relationships where it's just like, yo, like you're just going to be angry, like no matter what. And I don't know what to do about that. So that is kind of a thing. And I, and I don't know how I'll feel when it's time for me to open up about some of those like situations. I feel like I owe it to me to like put pen to paper on that, whether I put, you know, paper to script to podcast on that. I, I really don't notice yet, but as for everything else, I mean, really, if anything is kind of like at, at a certain point, I imagine it becomes like a safety concern, but like really truly like I want a show, like I want like, you know, I want a TV show. Like I'm going to be known by more people than just the people who are watching this podcast right now. And I also realize now that I'm talking like a mile a minute. I'm so sorry. Y'all. Um, but because like I want to be appreciated for the work that I'm doing, I know that like I'm going to continue to grow platforms, whether I'm joining somebody else's platform or I'm simply building mine, not simply, but you know, whether I'm just building mine. And so I am, I think, preparing myself for that. I'm editing myself in that way already. Um, and we'll just see what happens. We'll just see. Last question, question 28. What is something that you love about the life that you've built? love this one. Um, I think right now the thing that I love most about this life is the community. It is the sense of community. It is the fact that like, you know, um, I can right now, and I don't know how, how long the, the platform of TikTok is going to be around, but like, I know that I can go into, you know, TikTok live and have a thought provoking, you know, um, uh, challenging conversation about really any subject and that community exists so much in that space that when other folks join and they see people in there who they've seen in previous lives, they're saying, Hey, to them. If my goal right now is to build community, then in a way I am doing it. And it's not just because everybody's here for me. They're here for each other too, even digitally, even in these parasocial relationships, I think there's something incredibly unique about it. And, and we're getting in on the ground floor. Um, it is the thing that I love most that quite frankly, I don't feel like I've ever had. It goes beyond having followers. It goes beyond having quote unquote fans. And it goes into really 
sharing space with people, people who I feel like I'm letting get to know me and people who are letting me get to know them too. Um, and for that, I am exceptionally grateful. And I thank them for it all the time because trust is really, a, it's a two-way street and we're building it together. Um, and so I owe them my honesty and they don't know me shit. They don't know me shit. But the fact that they give it um, so willingly, so freely, um, with like with love in their heart and sometimes a little bit of pushback um, and, and more pushback when it's needed, I'm really, really grateful. It is such a privilege. Um, and so, yeah, I'm, I'm, that's the thing that I'm loving the most right now. Um, everything else is good. It's peachy keen, you know, things was real cute. Things are real cute. Um, but I'm loving that the most. Okay. Y'all. So, you know, I know I said that this wasn't going to be like a traditional, you know, sort of format for the podcast, but I still wouldn't be me if I didn't offer up, you know, a little bit of a spread. So, um, today's meal pairing, um, is an homage to slow and thoughtful food. Um, it is a coffee and brown sugar barbecue braised short rib over buttermilk cheddar grits. Now y'all know, if you've read my cookbook and you read the little intro to it, grits are like one of my favorite things to make in the world. They are like a comfort food for me. They're a comfort food for a lot of people, but I'm very much a savory grits girl. You will not catch me putting sugar on my grits. That's what cream of wheat is for. That's what cream of wheat is for. And black Twitter, you could tear me up if you want to, baby, but I don't care. I don't care. Okay. Um, but no, I love these short ribs for so many reasons. And, you know, um, the main one is kind of because with, with Wade's father, some years back, we had smoked some oxtails like in this exact flavor combination. Um, I'd like brought them over. They were seasoned and, you know, the whole thing. And we put them on the smoker and they were so good. And I think about them all the time. And so I kind of want to like, you know, I wanted to bring that back. Um, I, I swoon, okay, at the very thought because, you know, short ribs are like, they're fatty. And I feel like the coffee cuts through that. Um, you know, the, the brown sugar and the barbecue, like that sweetness, they're really just like, they're so beautiful. They're, they're great dance partners, um, to borrow a turn of phrase from my homegirl, Ashley. And I know that they kind of seem like conflicting things, but the coffee, the brown sugar and the barbecue sauce are quite literally a match made in slow cooking heaven. Um, if you have not ever added like fresh espresso, um, to your barbecue sauce, I don't know what you're doing, but baby change that immediately. Um, and I like to finish it off actually with a little bit of like fresh orange zest. I think it really cuts through and it complements each of those three flavors. Um, and it's just a really good, like heartwarming sort of dish. It feels like home, but in a very modern and sort of fresh way. Um, and the beauty about it is that it's one of those things you can throw in a slow cooker or pressure cooker an instant pot or whatever. Just don't try to damn air fry the short ribs cause they're going to be tough, but, um, you can really make it any time of year. So that recipe can be found over on CourtneyFutch.com backslash podcast. Um, and let's move on to the next section. Now, all is paired in love with forks and we knew this already. We knew this already. So the wine pairing for today's meal pairing is going to be a Pinot Noir because of course it's bright and it's velvety um, and it's got aromas of cranberry and red cherry and plum and they pair really perfectly with the richness of a deep braised short rib. Um, you could of course go for a Chardonnay. I don't know why you necessarily would want to, but if you wanted to, because you're like a white wine drinker, um, you know, it's got those like great citrus aromas, which are of course going to pair really nicely with that finish of orange. Um, and you know, lightly complement the coffee, um, as well. And it's going to cut through the richness of the beef. Um, and you know, it's got little hints of like roasted nuts and spice and mineral notes, um, which are going to complement it perfectly. Okay. Per big dot. 
Uh, the song pairing, of course, for today is a song that I've been listening to on a repeat for the last month called I Still Love You or I-S-L-Y by Kenyon Dixon. And it has been like speaking to me a lot. Okay. Um, over the last month. And I just wanted to pay homage to that. I love the sort of songs that speak to the reality of romantic love. One that acknowledges that you're not always going to be like deeply, deeply smitten, um, or enamored with your partner as you're moving through the world with them, but they are still worthy of love. One of my favorite lines in the song is got a lot of nerve, but I'll give you my last one because that ain't a problem. You know, I'm gonna still love you. And it's refreshing for a song to walk me back off the ledge of the fear of being loved. This and so many other curated jammy jams can be found on Apple Music and Spotify under the playlist named All Is Paired. Of course, the link is in the description for uh, both YouTube and, um, you know, Apple Music and Spotify. So you can find it under there. And uh, let's go ahead and get into just the tip and we'll wrap this bad boy on up. If y'all have been here for this long, thank you for kicking it with the kid. But let's get into this last piece. So uh, just the tip. All I know for sure is that last year I didn't have the language or the self-given grace to reflect on how far I've come without a yes, but attached. I won't lie to you. 27 was lonely, intimately lonely. And looking back now, I think it needed to be. And even though it wasn't that fun, I was slogging through every fucking toxic trait that I have and convincing myself that I'm the hardest person in the world to love. I needed to hear myself think so that I could determine that I'm not. I'm not that hard to love. I'm human and I'm trying and sometimes I'm failing miserably. But being a hopeful person can be hurtful. Despite that, I am looking forward to sharing this life that I'm building with someone, someone who gets me, someone who makes me say to them one morning over breakfast, I am so glad I kept hoping. I was waiting for you. Someone I can dance with in the kitchen while the pasta simmers or while the pot roast braises or while the skin on the chicken crisps. Someone who will walk around the kitchen island to steal spoonfuls of broth or sauce or soup or me and love me and be hungry for me, be hungry with me. A lover who never gets too full for me is the wish that I have for myself. It is what I blew my candles this year out to. So let's see what the next year has to bring me. Oh, join me on the next episode of With Love and Butter, where we'll talk about love bombing. I know that's what we were supposed to talk about in the last episode, but baby, you know, we're, this was important. We had to get, we're coming back. Okay. We're going to talk about love bombing and why I'm so susceptible to it. Some of my most toxic traits, which of course are also love bombing, dating men 10 years older than me, and then ultimately the choice to stay strangers. Now, don't forget to subscribe if you haven't already. You know this is a bi-weekly love thing, my babies. Stay hungry. Bye. <laughs>